click back. Do not reload. We have reconnected to Dimension 404. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Anthology presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. If this is your first time listening, Anthology is a podcast exploring science fiction anthology storytelling during television's first golden age, beginning with The Twilight Zone. But with Dimension 404 premiering on Hulu on April 4th, I'm covering each episode of Rocket Jump's Anthology sci-fi series in this bonus episode series. You can find more of Anthology at AnthologyPod.com. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash AnthologyPod. You can tweet me at ObsessiveViewer. Or you can send me an email at Matt at ObsessiveViewer.com. If you like what you hear and you want to support the podcast, please head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. The more ratings and reviews I get, the easier it will be for people to find the show in iTunes' search results, and it provides me, me with some valuable feedback. And finally, if you want to show your support with your wallet, you can do that by clicking the Donate button on AnthologyPod.com or the Donate link in the show notes of this episode. Any and all donations made will help pay the fees to keep the podcast running and uh, is greatly appreciated. And finally, um, this is, this is new. Um, if you're interested in anthology shirts or other merch, um, I did just recently start a T public store, which, uh, you can get an actual anthology t-shirt. Uh, the logo looks freaking awesome, um, on a t-shirt. I got one for, for, uh, Indie PopCon here a couple couple months ago, and uh, I just I love seeing it on the shirt. It's really awesome. Um, so yeah, I'll put a link to the T. I'll I will put a link to the T Public Store in the show notes. You can find um, Obsessive Viewer Anthology Shocktober and Irvington shirts and mugs and mouse pads and notebooks and stickers and stuff like that. Um, it's also part of my T Public Store, so I have a curated. Um, a curated uh, basic list of t-shirts and other things from other designers on the website. So if you buy something from the store that isn't necessarily something from one of my brands, um, like I have a whole section for Stephen King shirts. If you buy one from that uh, store link, uh, I'll get a portion of the, um, I'll, I'll get a small commission on the sale. Um, so yeah, all that can be found on the T public store. Um, just go check that out. I'll put a link in the show notes, or you can just type in obsessiveviewer.com in the T public search uh, and find all of uh, my stuff. Um, so yeah, and finally, finally, last thing, um, if you're in Indianapolis, uh, me and my friends at the Obsessive Viewer were hosting a one night event screening of short horror films on October 6th at the Irving Theater. I'll put a promo for it later in this episode. Just, uh, let you, letting you know that tickets are on sale. Go to shocktoberinirvington.com. All right. So today on the podcast for this bonus episode, I am going to be uh reviewing the episode Kronos. It's from the third it's the third episode of Dimension 404's first season uh that I mentioned uh, premiered on April 4th in, on Hulu. Um the plot summary uh, according to the internet um, I just grabbed it off of Google. Uh the plot description for Kronos is a hopeless uh, a hopelessly nostalgic physics student fights to prove her sanity when no one on earth can remember her favorite 90s cartoon show. 
And starring in this episode is Ashley Rickards as Sue Hirsch, the aforementioned uh, nostalgic physics student. Um, she uh, she was in a couple episodes of The Flash, but I haven't gotten to her role in The Flash yet. I'm only like five or six episodes into The Flash. Um, but I thought this was interesting. She graduated from high school uh, when she was 15 and is currently a, mem- a member of Menza. So that's pretty cool. Um, co-starring in this episode as Alex Kapoor is... Uh, Ukarsh Am- Ambakar, uh, Ambakar, Um, I'm sure I'm probably butchering that, and I do apologize. Uh, he he was previously in Pitch Perfect, and he also uh, had a several episode stint on the Mindy Project, as I believe he played uh, Mindy Kaling's brother in it. Um, I liked him in both of those roles, and I really like him in this episode. Spoiler for the actual review. Um, finally rounding out the cast is Matthew Del Negro, uh, as time writer. Um, he has appeared in numerous television. He has numerous television credits to his name. Uh, he has several episodes. He appeared in several episodes of West Wing, uh, Teen Wolf and the Sopranos. Um, one of those shows is not like the other. And, uh, he was also the voice of Cortez in the video game Mass Effect 3, which I'm a huge Mass Effect fan, so that was pretty cool to find out. Uh, writers for this episode are Will Campos and Des Dolly. Uh, Des Dolly happens to follow me on Twitter. Just throwing that out there. Just mentioning that. If you're listening, Des, thank you for following me and whatever. Anyway, um, and also the show's good. Um, <laughs> Director for this episode is Dave Boyle. Uh, this is his first TV directing gig. He had previously directed a handful of movies uh, to his name. So um, so that's pretty cool. So as is the norm with this uh, with these episodes, I'm going to spoil the uh, the episode of Dimension 404 that I'm reviewing. So if you have not watched the episode yet, uh, go ahead and pause this and watch the episode, then come back and listen to it. Or if you don't care about spoilers, just continue listening because I'm about to spoil the hell out of this. Um, so Kronos, my initial overall thoughts when I first watched it was that, um, it was a pretty good, it was a pretty, it was a pretty all right episode. Um, it employs one of my favorite science fiction devices of all time at time travel. Um, so I really liked that. And then the kind of the nostalgia of, uh, I, I guess, I guess uh, a nostalgia by association, I guess. Um, when the character of Sue shows how much she loves the show time writer, it just, it made me feel like, like that nostalgia spoke to me because I, I mean, I grew up watching like the amazing Spider-Man and, um, uh, the X-Men cartoon and like I have vivid memories of playing in the uh, streets of my or in the, uh, the streets of my apartment complex uh, playing X-Men with my friends and arguing over who gets to be Wolverine and who gets to be Nightcrawler. I always wanted to be Nightcrawler. He was my favorite. But anyway, in the, the style of the cartoon in the show was really reminiscent of of uh, of like that 90s era cartoon Saturday morning cartoon thing. It it was very reminiscent of like the X-Men series and, and a little bit of maybe, uh, well, <laughs> they mentioned that, uh, Captain Planet. Um, and then when I, when I started watching it more, or when I watched it a couple more times, um, I warmed up to the episode a lot more and I'll get into it, uh, here now. <laughs> if you're not noticing, I'm kind of rusty on this. 
Anywho, um, so my first thought after the kind of time lapse of jumping to her being a teenager or a college student, um, it's, it's immediately clear that Susan is a procrastinator. And I thought that that was really, uh, um, it resonated with me quite a bit because there is very much a distinct connection between being like someone who obsessively views things and, um, there's a link between that and maybe poor time management skills. Um, I just in general am a procrast procrastinator. Uh, wow. <laughs> a procrastinator. Um, I just, I, I just put things off to the last minute and I kind of, I'm someone who works better under pressure and everything. But I, I think that there is a connection between, you know, being someone who watches a lot of media and consumes a lot of media. Um, and maybe shirking your responsibilities a little bit. Um, and then the opening monologue, I'll, I'll get more to that later, but the opening monologue with Mark Hamill saying that, uh, uh, he ends the monologue with saying, you'd never waste your night watching a science fiction TV show. Which I thought, I thought that was kind of cute. I thought, I don't know. I thought that was okay. Um, <laughs> it was, it was, it wasn't quite that subtle, but I, I didn't mind. It was, it was, it was, cool um and the 404 we get in this episode is uh the clock on the or the alarm clock on the on the desk there so that was a good kind of introduction to the episode it teased time travel which i which i'm a huge fan of so i was definitely on board with that and then we get the introduction of alex who is showing off his his term paper um i'm actually skipping over the interaction with the the college professor it was kind of stuffy it wasn't really that memorable. I don't actually have much of my notes about that scene, but the actual, um, introduction of Alex's character when he comes over and shows her the, uh, his term paper. I, I liked the back and forth between them. Um, he's clearly worried, uh, that she's not going to complete it in time and she's kind of writing it off, which is something that resonated with me because that's something I do all, well, I've, I have done a lot in my life. It's like, yeah, I'll do it later. Um, they even have the nice, um, the nice setup for the, for the button at the end of the episode, the setup where she's like, well, if, if time travel exists, then we're going, then my term paper is going to be right there. And then, Alex kind of comes goes back to her with, well, you have to write it first, either way, um, which I thought that was a nice, a nice, uh, a nice nod to that time travel convention, and also comes into play later in the episode. Um, but when Alex gets confused over uh, her reference to, uh, over Sue's reference to Time Rider and the Chronosteens, um, <laughs> I loved the enthusiasm that Sue had when she was all excited to, to introduce someone to, to the show that she loves. Um, I really, as an aside, I really liked the comparison of the show being like Wishbone meets Captain Planet, even though I don't necessarily know, I don't see how Wishbone really fits into that, even though, I, well, I guess different time, time periods for, uh, dressing up. And everything, which by the way, if you're not familiar with Wishbone, I, I'm sorry to hear that. That show was so, so great as a kid, as a kid who loved reading and loved dogs. Like that show was perfect for me. Um, if you're not familiar with it, Wishbone was about a dog that 
is like super dead now. But anyway, um, that's terrible. Anyway, it's about a dog who basically goes on adventures and recreates uh, classic literature. Um, uh, and it, and they dress up the dog. It's it's really it's really it was really great. I wish it would be available streaming somewhere. Um, anyway, so the episode progresses, and we realize that um, uh, Time Rider and the Chronos teens has disappeared. Like the show has disappeared from existence. And I thought in that moment, I thought that was a really cool conceit for an episode. Um, the idea of a TV show just dis- disappearing from existence and only one person having the memory of 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 it. Um, there's something to that. There's something kind of frightening about that because it's like a piece of your nostalgia. It's like it, it exposes the fragility of your, of your formative years, essentially like this, like this character has latched onto this particular media as like the touchstone of her childhood and the thought of losing that nostalgia or losing that thing that even, even losing that thing that defines who you who you are essentially like this is her obsession and she's the only one that knows knows about it it's it plays on a concept that i've talked about a lot when reviewing the twilight zone and what i'm going to talk about in the next episode of anthology reviewing the twilight zone but it plays with this fragile state of the of the human psyche and and fragile state of sanity and whether or not this character is insane or is actually actually the uh victim of something supernatural or otherworldly um which as a as a concept for these shows obviously at least definitely dimension 404 like we know that they're not you know they're not just losing their sanity like there's actually this otherworldly stuff going on and everything but it's it's an interesting character trait to have a character that is grappling with this bizarre situation that they're finding themselves in that they are finding themselves in and then taking that to such an extreme where they are questioning their reality and their sanity i just think that that is just such a such a strong um uh strong uh, scenario to put the character in and it's kind of uh reaches an apex i guess when she calls her mother like sue calls her mother and in that moment it's just fascinating to think about how you would react if something that you used to escape re to escape reality in the real world for the majority of your life and like this is technically like a security blanket if that was just gone and you had no safety net or anything to to, um, well, anything to use up all of your time and everything like that's, that's frightening, even though it is somewhat detrimental to her life, that it is keeping her from doing this term paper and, and from actually, you know, doing like being responsible. It's still something that's very important to her. That's just suddenly just ripped out of her life. Um, and from that, from that, we get this kind of weird cut that it's immediately like it's storming and she's getting on her bike cause she wants to ride her bike over to the animation studio, but it's a four hour bike ride. Like all of that was kind of jarring. It was kind of, I, it was kind of sudden and it kind of took me a couple seconds to kind of catch up with it. Um, at first I was wondering if that was like the quick cut from day to night. I was wondering if that was some kind of editing snafu, like maybe, maybe they had an extra scene in between there to kind of bridge that, that time, uh, that time jump. Um, but then, uh, 
then I kind of started to realize, well, they needed that time jump anyway. Like regardless, I don't think that there was, I think that that was intentional for us to jump tonight because we needed something to differentiate between the present and, and the past. Um, because throughout every scene up until that jump tonight, we get, uh, we get these bizarre little things like the trash cans getting knocked over and, and the door opening, um, after Alex comes in and just a bunch of different things and, and sounds here and there that are going to play in, play into the following scenes. Um, but then Time Rider shows up and this was a, this was a kind of, kind of a nice surprise. Um, it was kind of cool. It was an interesting, it was an interesting wrinkle in the episode. Um, and I liked Sue's enthusiasm about it because this is like she's meeting her hero and it's just really like she's really enthusiastic and she knows all the lore and everything. And then Alex is just like, I like, I don't know what's going on, but all right, whatever. Um, and the, the costume design of Time Rider reminds me a little bit of like Judge Dredd and a little bit of Robocop a little bit because he has that visor and uh, a helmet and everything. After this, we get a long, um, kind of not long, but explanation about time travel and, and, and like it's setting up the next act where Time Rider needs to correct the past and, and yada, yada, yada. Um, that, like, that made me really want to watch, like, something, like, it made me, it made me really interested in the mythology of Time Rider. It made me want to watch this show that doesn't exist. Um, and I liked the energy, like I said, of Sue being super into it and excited, excited. At this point, I actually did start to wonder if, um, if the, if Susan has, like, if Susan was eventually, or Sue was eventually going to have to erase Time Rider so that she come show, so that she becomes more responsible, I was kind of right, but not really. Like, she had to erase it from her memory at the end, but I kind of wondered in that moment if she was the one that was erasing it, which was inaccurate. But, um, we get a, a nice little, like, piece of comic relief where, uh, and this is where, where, uh, the actor playing Alex is fantastic. Um, like when Time Rider's like, are you with me, Chrono Teens? And then he's like, I'm 23. I just, I like that kind of, it's not like a snarky response. It's kind of this kind of blase kind of, uh, blase and really like, like confused and more like I'm just going along for the ride because I have no idea what is, what I'm doing. Like this, uh, that type of energy. I just, I just thought really helped that scene. <laughs> and, uh, just the concept of all of it was just fun. Like, like hearing a uh, time writer say, are you ready to ride the timeline? Like the cheesiness of that just made me want to watch the show more and more, uh, watch the, watch the cartoon more and more. Um, because that's, I don't know that that's the type of entertainment that I'm, I kind of gravitate toward. Like, I like that cheesy, like 90s sci-fi stuff like it's it's a fun concept and it brought a level of camp to the episode that i really enjoyed and uh then we get the realization obviously it's realized immediately that there are multiple versions of them that are they're time traveling back numerous times and while i do like this as a concept um 
kind of a nice shout out to uh, the book, The Man Who Folded Himself. It's it's a quick read. It's a cool time travel uh, book, kind of about that similar premise. And then also one of my favorite time time travel movies is uh, Time Crimes. Uh, it's, it's fantastic and kind of plays on the same thing, uh, where they're kind of a time traveler is kind of, he's, it's kind of a, I don't know if that would be a temporal like time loop or something, but he's reacting to things that he is about to do. And it's this, it's this interesting thing where, um, like he sees, he sees someone in the distance that ends up being him in the, in the future time traveling back it's it's a really trippy movie but anyway um i like that type of time travel and i think that they did this pretty well with 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 what they were doing and what they attempted to do with it in fact one of my favorite probably one of my favorite scenes of the entire episode was alex uh standing outside of the door trying to come up with the best way to greet sue when she when she answers it um i thought that was just a really sweet like a really sweet scene um and like the kind of embarrassment, uh, like the episode didn't really play up this that much, but I kind of felt some pangs of embarrassment on his behalf, just knowing that like they're watching him be all awkward and trying to impress a girl that he's clearly into to some extent. I just thought that that was kind of a sweet scene and I kind of wish that they would have, uh, dove more into it and kind of kind of used that more like had more of an arc for that type for that for that relationship and that that arc there but what we got of it was pretty nice and then once they kind of start going back in time a couple more times i think there are like three different um versions of them at the end of the day in that little stretch of time um, it, it kind of started to wear just a little bit thin with me or kind of was testing my patience a little bit. And I'm really glad that they changed it up after, after that, like it didn't overstay its welcome. And I really liked how, where the episode led from there. But even though there was a, a certain brevity to them going back in time and, and doing the whole time crimes thing and, and the man who folded himself thing, um, that novelty started to wear off just a little bit um, toward the end of that segment. Um, and then probably my least favorite part of this episode was when they, uh, they're they on the bed, like Sue's on the bed and, and Alex, is, or, uh, Alex is on the bed hiding and Sue is on top of him. And then there's just kind of this kind of forced like joke about Alex having a boner and I don't, I don't know. Like he covers his, he covers his crotch with a pillow and says, I think we should stay on the bed for a couple more minutes. I, I don't know. I, I just thought that that was a little bit forced and wasn't as, wasn't as, it didn't land with me as, as much as I would have liked to. And I like boner jokes. Um, that's a nice sound bite. But anyway, um, <laughs> but then later, uh, later when they're about to decide or when, uh, when it's kind of like after everything is kind of ended and right before they go to, uh, they find the ring to go back in time to the nineties. Um, I like, I liked the moment where Alex and Sue are on the bed and then Sue like leans over to get the ring. And then Alex kind of mutters, he's like, Oh, this is happening. Oh, thinking that they're about to hook up. And I thought that, that type of joke was a lot better and more effective than the boner joke. Cause it was like a little more subtle and it played up the, 
the uh the hope of Alex and the excitement of like his attraction to her um without being kind of over the top or or I don't I didn't even want to say grotesque cuz I'm not I wasn't offended by the boner joke or anything. It just it was a little more subtle when they were on the bed and he thought that they were about to make out. And so they so they kind of go back in time to when the show was being created and they go to Sundial Studios I believe it's called. I didn't have it in my notes but um and that's where the episode really kind of comes together for me. Um I I just really like the concept of people from the future going back in time to create a science fiction cartoon with the express purpose of inspiring people in the past and you know getting them to um become interested in science and and you know preserve the future and like protecting the future. I thought that that's a very noble thing to do and a very clever use of time travel and it's something that I I just really enjoyed. And then we get kind of the bombshell uh that Sue is the um inventor of time travel. She has the title of the mother of time. And it's a nice it's a nice reveal because she is meeting the creator of of time writer and she's like fangirling out and then like he's like he just realizes who she is and then and the tables just turn and then that's when she realizes how important she is and and she sees the uh the the painting of her and everything it's it's a nice it's a nice moment a nice realization um in that moment i i really enjoyed that and also the name <laughs> like the the moniker of uh, mo- uh, mother of time is that's a, that's a pretty badass name. Um, at that point, I just I just really liked the evolution of the episode because it didn't it didn't overstay its welcome too long with the with the going back in time and fixing fixing their mistakes and everything or or calling back to uh well yeah fixing their mistakes or anything. It didn't spend too much time there. Then it goes into the origin of the TV show and everything, which is is a nice evolution to that episode and that storyline. It just I really like that they went from it like this episode could have just been a cheeky time travel story, but it went into a different direction um before it actually got way too stale. And I, I really like that about it. Um also I haven't mentioned entropy or entropy uh yeah entropy. Um the villain of time time writer um <laughs> which kind of over the top and silly and everything. Um, but the voice, I, I was so sure that it was Mark Hamill. Um, especially when he laughed, it kind of felt like, like Hamill's, uh, Joker laugh, but it, it wasn't him. He was voiced by someone else. So, uh, but I just thought that was interesting. I wonder if they, you know, directed it and that like made it purposely, like that was a note or something that he went, uh, he was to sound like him. Or to sound like the Joker. Um, and then Sue goes through, uh, some of the artifacts, I guess, or she sees a newspaper clipping of herself, um, inventing time travel, which I thought this was kind of funny. It's just, it's like, it says young physicist, uh, invents time travel. And, uh, what I liked about it is that it's a small clipping and I'm like, I mean, if it makes the paper, it's going to be the front page. <laughs> But I kind of thought like, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but it kind of felt like maybe they, uh, maybe it was a, like it could have been perceived as satire that, you know, the media doesn't really care about scientific breakthroughs or anything. Um, yeah. And so 
what I the kind of next wrinkle in the episode is that there was the the announcement of the timeline breach and the realization that while Sue and Alex are in the past, the idea is that she can always go back to the present and or she can she has a time machine so she can write the paper and have plenty of time. But she said that knowing that she put her responsibility of um on the back burner while she wanted to explore like time travel and everything, knowing that she would not, she has a finite amount of time to get the, to get the paper written and, and get it taken care of in the, in the future or in the present. Um, I kind of liked that, that brought a sense of urgency to the episode that I think, I think was really needed at that point. Um, because up until that point, we didn't really have that much urgency. The only, the only sense of urgency we really had was, um, uh, Time Riders battle with entropy, which just kind of felt like, felt like, uh, um, it, it, it kind of just felt like we were along for the ride. This kind of raised the stakes to be about, um, about the characters we're following and, and about the real life issue of her getting the term paper done and also the, you know, paradox of her not being able to invent, invent time travel. She doesn't get the term paper written. Um, so I just, I liked that, that wrinkle. And I liked Sue's kind of confession that she doesn't want to let everyone down. And the reason why she watches cartoons is because she doesn't want the pressure of, of letting anyone down. And she's, she views herself as a failure and she doesn't want to be a failure. I thought that that was really poignant. And that, and that was kind of on point with that type of personality and that type of character. Cause like I said, I'm, I procrastinate a lot and it's, it kind of resonated with me because a lot of those same feelings and stuff is like you get in your head. Like when you're procrastinating, it's not like you're just lazy. It's just, you're in your head about, like, like, what if you're not, what if you can't accomplish what you're setting out to do and everything? It's this anxiety that comes with it that I think is a little bit underrepresented when you, when you kind of see procrastination in media and everything. And I thought that, like, it's not making a huge statement about mental illness or anything like that, but it's just, it's, it's something that's kind of taken into account the inner workings of someone who is procrastinating and why they're procrastinating. And it's just, it's, it was, a uh, it resonated and it, and it brought some more, uh, dimension to the character. <laughs> and, uh, Alex's, probably, I mean, probably my favorite, my other favorite part of the episode is Alex, um, <laughs> getting the plan together to like go distract the professor and everything. Um, I just liked his, his reaction. Like everyone, like he, like he spells out the plan and then he's like, did I get that right? Is that how time travel works? Because I'm just a plus one here. <laughs> I thought that was, that was a cool, like sidekick kind of thing. Uh, and and that kind of really, really, uh, made me laugh because it, it follows a type of dynamic that, is similar to like, like, like Doctor Who. Um, Doctor Who is like the doctor and, uh, the doctor's companion. And it's a lot of like sidekick stuff. And, and it kind of brought that level of, of comedy and, and, uh, um, dynamic to, to this episode. I don't know if that was one of their intentions or not, but that's the connection that I made. Um, and I, and I like the, I like the whole distracting the, um, the professor segment, like throwing the papers all around and everything. And, uh, all while entropy and, uh, time rider are fighting. I thought that was, that was cool. And, and I don't know. I don't know. It didn't really, 
it didn't really engage my interest that much and it didn't, but it didn't disengage it. Like I wasn't losing interest at that point. Um, but the next moment where she, I don't even like, and this is where it kind of started to lose me a little bit because I don't even remember the specifics, but for some reason she has to erase her memory of, of, uh, of the show. And, and that was pretty clever because she had to do that so that she could create, like she could fix a paradox that she was going to be at the center of. But then the more you think about it, it kind of feels like, uh, it kind of feels like a, uh, like wouldn't that present a paradox in itself? And I, and I'm, and I never do this. I, I hate when people overthink time travel, um, in media and, and in, and in fiction and everything because it's not the point of time travel, but just the idea of her erasing time writer from her memory wouldn't that mean that like her entire life wouldn't have like i mean it's a very significant part of her life that makes her who she is like wouldn't that erase who she is as a person and wouldn't that create a paradox in itself because then she wouldn't become a physicist and all that but i i don't know that's that's just me overthinking something that doesn't need to be overthought um but then kind of nice moment at the end. I, I really liked the end of the episode because after they've saved the day and everything and she sacrificed her memory of the show um, for the greater good and everything, um, they kind of call back that that line where she talks about how um, she'll have plenty of time to do the, to do the paper and that maybe it's right there in the drawer uh, because maybe the future, maybe someone from the future gave it to her. And like, there's just a piece of paper that just says, write it yourself. I thought that was a nice, that was a nice uh, pin on the episode, a nice button on the episode and uh, a good way to end it because that kind of shows that, you know, she needs to grow up and she needs to be more uh, proactive with her responsibilities and everything. And, and that was a nice way to kind of close that arc. Um, even though if you think a little too hard about it, it might cause some, uh, cause some logical issues in, in, in your reading of the episode. But again, time travels and time travel in fiction is not something that should be overthought as much as it is, or like dissected as much as it is, unless you're talking about something like primer or, or something where like it invites you to really dissect the intricacies of time travel in the narrative. This is just a fun show or a fun episode of a, of a somewhat campy esque sci-fi anthology series. And, and it's not something that you should really overthink on it. Um, so overall, um, this episode of Dimension 404, um, I, I liked it. You know, it's, it seems like this show is taking more, like, I mean, this is only the, what, third episode of the series, but it seems like each episode is kind of taking something, uh, so, <laughs> something that I identify with and I appreciate. It's kind of interesting because the first episode was about dating and, like, I have my own experiences with dating and, and the, uh, the, you know, bad and good experiences with it. And then the second episode is about, you know, um, a curmudgeonly, uh, movie fan or theater goer, um, battling against, you know, young flashy movie theaters and, 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 uh, stuff that he doesn't want to accept as, as entertainment. And then this one is, you know, time travel. It's like, I mean, you guys are three for three with something that I'm like for things that I'm that I identify with and enjoy. So it's a it's a good it's a good start to or it's a good first half of a season, I should say. 
Um, but as, as far as this episode specifically, I liked the time travel storyline of it. It, it got, it didn't get too stale throughout it. Um, like they changed it up frequently enough and they, and they, um, evolved the storyline enough that it didn't get too stale. Um, started to lose a little bit of interest toward the end, but, um, on repeat viewings, it, it, it worked fine and it was a, it was a, it was a pretty good episode. It was good. And I really liked the. Uh, sidekick of Alex. I liked them having like Alex playing off of Sue and um, kind of being somewhat of an audience surrogate and reacting to the ridiculous nature of, of what's going on. And then Sue's excitement about being a part of time writer and, and being a part of this thing that she loves and trying to preserve the thing that she loves and everything. I, I thought that was a cool angle to go through on that. So overall pretty solid episode, probably liked it more than, uh, the previous episode, but, uh, we still have three episodes left and we'll see where that goes. And then at some point this year, they're, they're going to release season four of, um, of Black Mirror, I'm sure. So I'm thinking that'll be late this year. They haven't announced it yet, but I'm going to have to do a bonus review series on that. And then also, uh, uh, Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams. So, um, be looking for more, um, <laughs> uh, anthology content, uh, coming soon, um, or later this year, really. Um, but before all that, I have three episodes left of Dimension 404, and then I have, of course, all of the Twilight Zone to go through. So getting back into the swing of things, apologies for the, for the long hiatus, but I'm getting back into it and I appreciate your guys' patience. Um, that will do it for this bonus episode of Anthology. Once again, check out the Tee Public store. If you want to get like a cool anthology shirt, it's, it looks really cool. Like I love my logo. <laughs> like I really do. And I had to, like, when I got the logo design from, um, podcastdesigner.com, by the way, freaking great website or like the guy that makes it is really, uh, really great and thorough with, uh, his designs and everything. It's, it's really great, but I had to contact him about the logo cause I needed to make it transparent for it. And like he worked with me and it was really cool. So I'm really proud of, um, how the shirts look and everything. And I'm looking forward to getting them in more colors, <laughs> but, uh, go ahead, check that out. Tpublic.com type in obsessiveviewer.com or anthology or what have you. You should be able to find it. Link to the T-Public store specifically will be in the show notes of this episode and can also be found on anthologypod.com. And, uh, yeah, having said all that, uh, once again, um, check out Sharktober and Irvington. I'll play a promo of it here in just a second to close out the episode. And uh, thank you guys for listening, and I'll see you next time. Tickets are on sale now for the fourth annual Shocktober in Irvington presented by the Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Join the hosts of the Obsessive Viewer on October 6th, 2017 at the Irving Theater for a one-night event screening of short horror films including the premiere screenings of the latest film in J.P. Leck's cross-medium elsewhere world universe, the latest film from Snapshot Productions, and much more. Come celebrate the horror genre in the historic Irvington area and meet the filmmakers with live Q&As after each screening. You can also win DVDs and Blu-rays, movie-related party games, 
horror-themed Funko Pop figures, gift cards to Irvington businesses, and so much more. Tickets are on sale now at shocktoberinirvington.com. All proceeds go directly to the Irvington Historical Society. And whether at the Irving Theater or in your nightmares, we will be seeing you on the 6th of October. Thank you for listening to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For more of Anthology and a full archive of my episodes, go to AnthologyPod.com. And if you want to help support the show, the easiest way you can do that is by leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. You can also make donations to the show courtesy of the donate link in the show notes of each episode and on AnthologyPod.com. For recurring donations, you can become a patron at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer and just choose one of the Anthology reward tiers. If you enjoy Anthology, feel free to check out The Obsessive Viewer, a weekly movie and TV podcast I host with my friend Tiny and occasional guest co-hosts over at ObsessiveViewer.com. You can also join The Obsessive Viewer Facebook group at Facebook.com slash TheObsessiveViewer. For book reviews and commentary on the world of reading, check out our sister site at ObsessiveBookNerd.com. And for philosophical discussions from a secular viewpoint, check out my friends Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. Finally, if you'd like to contact me with your thoughts on the show, my reviews, my bonus reviews, or for any other reason, you can tweet me at ObsessiveViewer, send me an email at Matt at ObsessiveViewer.com, or send me a message on Facebook and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.